very warm welcome to Newsbreak Talk this afternoon. I'm Tadej Sharipashad, keeping you company on this Sunday as we present to you another interesting conversation. And um, today's focus goes two ways. We're splitting it up in two ways to ensure that you, um, you know, have a variety of interests or rather more um, aspects of the discussion could, could be of particular relevance and interest to you. We're talking more technology today. We're looking at the fourth industrial revolution. It's a, um, I think it's a, a buzzword that South Africa and I think a lot of developing nations are, are looking toward in terms of um, uh, their development, the development of their ICT sectors, the development of their uh, modernization of the way they do business, of the way they um, create and manufacture industries and even in the way they skill their young people. And I know yesterday you were quite passionate about, or rather you were quite um, vehement in your um, I think your lack of understanding and support of a proposed um, a, a pr- proposed procedure by the uh, Department of Basic Education, where they're saying that grade nine um, learners can get a certificate, which could then put them or rather um, qualify them. Uh, for vocational training, skills-based training, and you say that's not a correct way. You believe that that's a, a smile against um, education as we know it. So it's it's issues like this. And then I think the other aspect, the second aspect that I want to touch on quite um, a lot is the fact that many of you were quite petrified uh, earlier this week about the fact that the banks that serve you could go on strike. Of course, that didn't happen because the Labour Court in Johannesburg uh, interdicted the planned protest by the banking sector workers. Um, and I think the more details on that reveals that Judge Hilary Rapkin said that the unions failed to comply with Section 77 of the Labour Relations Act, um, which gave workers the right to a protected protest action. Um, so there was a lot of um, back and forth with regard to that, a lot of rebuttal about it. But ultimately what it meant was it didn't happen, but it could have happened. Um, the banking sector of South Africa could have been brought to a halt. And how would that have impacted you? And this is where something like the fourth industrial revolution becomes important. Because if ATMs were not working or if the cash, um, you know, deposited or rather stocked in ATMs had run out and you desperately needed money or you desperately needed to swipe your card for some emergency, um, one of your investments didn't go through, one of your uh, debits didn't go through as it was planned. SARS was quite uh, concerned about it as well uh, as they you know, are quite in the throes there of tax season. If any of this didn't work out because of a bank strike, um, what would have happened to to you and to your interests, to your um, convenience. And this is where then the fourth industrial revolution becomes interesting because if on one hand we're talking about a technological um, advent and a technological wave of doing everything from banking to educating to um, to shopping to, to reading to understanding right down to even sometimes eating. Um, what happens if these technological um, services are disrupted? What happens if these technological um, support services decide they want to go on protest action? What happens then? So this is an interesting conversation we're going to have. It sounds like a lot, sounds like a lot of jargon. We'll try and unpack it as best we can so you actually understand, um, I think, the way the world is headed technologically. But before we do that, let's just put in the, the bank strike into the well, rather the proposed bank strike into some sort of perspective. We did manage to uh, speak to um, one of our very um, you know esteemed uh, organisations, the Banking Association of South Africa. Um, and they said that they are going to be returning to the table table to um, engage unions, government, and banks on the way forward. Um, and this is you know after they uh, they they succeeded uh, after rather uh, the Business Unity South Africa succeeded in getting an interdict to stop the protest action. So we spoke to the Banking Association of South Africa's Cas Kuvadia about his thoughts and then to expand it generally on where banking is headed in a technological sense. The reason we interdicted the strike was that proper process and procedure wasn't followed in Nedla. And we're more than happy to go back to Nedla and engage further on this matter. Uh, but the reason we said the strike is not an appropriate response to what the union said that they're striking against retrenchment. 
the reality is that whatever retrenchments are taking place, and they're not in the thousands of people that's been trotted around in public, it's, it's more like uh, hundreds of people, which is still uh, not good, uh, because in this environment to retrench people, banks do that as a last resort after they try to reskill and redeploy as many people as they can. Uh, the reason we felt that a strike is not the appropriate response is that the reason for whatever retrenchments they are twofold. One is uh, the digitization of the banking environment, uh, driven essentially by customers who want services now, they want services where they are, they want services from to whatever platforms they choose, be it mobile technology, be it internet, be it others, and they want it at a cost-effective way, and banks are responding to that, and that leads to a change in the business models. The other is that the volume of bank business has been pretty flat. If you look at bank results in the last year or so, you see volumes are flat. Banks are still profitable, and thank God they are, so that we don't have any sort of the sort of financial crisis that happened in the U.S. and Europe 2008-2009. So they're still profitable, but the volumes of business is flat, and that's because the economy is not growing. Uh, and so those two together lead to banks having to cut costs, having to be very efficient in the cost structures. And so we need to sit down and as government labor and business and say, how do we get this economy growing again? Because that's a critical issue. If we can get the economy growing again, volumes of bank business go up because they'll be supporting investment in the economy, they'll be supporting individual spending in the economy, Corporates will be investing, businesses will be created, and jobs will be created. And that's yeah. what we should be talking about. Yeah. Mr. Kubadia, thanks for explaining that. Uh, yeah. I think uh, from the more generalized perspective, something very interesting that you mentioned there, the the push and the move then for consumers wanting to bank more technologically. I wonder yeah. just generally your pronouncements, your your assumption and understanding as to where banking then could head uh, in the future and the impact it could could have on people working in the banking sector? Well, look, you know, we're not going to stop the technological advancement. I mean, this is a global phenomenon. Uh, for the fourth industrial revolution is real and it's happening. Uh, and, and what we, the discussions we need to have as the critical stakeholders how do we manage that given our unemployment situation and so on? But if we think that we're going to say, well, despite what's happening globally, we are not going to digitize, we are not going to respond to customers wanting to use technological platforms, then we became, we become irrelevant. And our banks are global players. They, they uh, do business in other parts of the world. And they have to respond to these developments. So the issue we need to talk about is what sort of curricula do we need at universities to actually skill our people to respond to this? Uh, how should what should schools be teaching? Uh, what what role can government play in establishing the necessary mechanisms to reskill existing workers? Uh, those are the sorts of debates we should be having, uh, not whether we going to go the technological route or the digital route or not. That, that train is at the station, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I think a final question, and the one that has panicked a lot, uh, a possible strike in the banking sector. You know, consumers feel they are going to bear the brunt of it or they could bear the brunt of it. Your thoughts to allay those kinds of concerns? Yeah, look, you know, had the strike gone ahead on Friday, would there have been some disruption? I'm sure there would have been some disruption. But banks have taken enormous precautions. They had been in communicating with customers well in advance, asking customers that can do their banking business uh, during the week before Friday to actually do that, so that to release pressure on Friday, uh, that those who want to do banking business on Friday, they could do it via internet or mobile uh, technology so that uh, those would be active. Uh, we would have sold ATMs with cash up to late Thursday night uh, so that there's cash available on Friday for people to withdraw. 
So various precautions were taken, and we would have assessed the situation on the day and make necessary interventions where possible. Uh, so, you know, again, if, if a strike does happen, let me just be clear that our banking sector has the infrastructure to manage this. We, we can't say there will be no disruption, but the sort of stuff going around, some media people have asked me, will there be a run on banks and do we need to panic? Well, no, absolutely not. Investors have not raised any concerns. The market hasn't raised any concerns. It's something we can manage uh, with as little disruption as possible. And, and that's what we'll continue to do. That was Banking Association of South Africa. Um, Kaskovadia, he was talking to us and explaining to us, you know, the, the, I think the um, initial sentiments where the strike currently stands, or rather where the, you know, the, the conflict currently stands, dispelling some of that. And then I think we took it into a more general perspective to talk there about um, technology in the banking sector, the push forward, the way forward, and how to ensure that South Africa is well compliant with regard to this. Well, talking then about compliance and how to ensure that South Africa, and I think uh, a lot of people are complying with the pressures of um, social trends, of technological trends. Uh, we're very happy to have somebody in studio. Um, she actually says that she walks in, it feels like I'm home. And we're talking to Nazreen Ibrahim. She's the CEO of a Socially Acceptable. Nazreen now practices in Johannesburg where she provides um, you know, communication strategy and training to a lot of corporates in Johannesburg to, I think, get them ready um, for the fourth industrial revolution across various types of skills, whether it is um, strategy and corporate um, imaging, right down to soft skills, as she explained. So, Nastim, we're very happy to have you in studio. It's wonderful to be back. It's it's really being like back home, Taresh. It's lovely to see you, really. <laughs> it's been a long time and we're happy that uh, Joburg is treating you so well. So we're happy that you've come to studio to come, kind of share with um, you know our audience this big issue of development and going forward and Please. technology. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, and I think... Um, I know particularly you wanted to focus on, I think, specifically um, getting young people and getting, I think, society in general ready for the world of work, what it will require from you technologically yeah. in keeping with fourth industrial revolution. Before we touch on that, because I know this is going to be a very fascinating conversation to have, let's talk about the, um, you know, the, the would-be uh, bank strike that was proposed, of course, then interdicted and then not, um, you know, able to, to go ahead. But it had the country on tenterhooks, didn't it? Absolutely, it had the country on tenterhooks. I like the way you described it. If your banking systems are down, how do we bank in South Africa? We bank um, uh, mostly by going into a branch. So think about the thought process of a human who is a banked individual. If you're not using uh, a mobile wallet, a money wallet to send yeah. money and collect it at a shop store, at the kiosk to collect money, then you're either uh, going to a bank and if you evolved, like most of us have in the last two or three years, because all banks have now introduced online banking in terms of app banking. Yep. So the app is now your branch online. Yep. You can um, send money, you can set up accounts, yep. you can get approval on home loans, yeah. uh, you can transfer money, get paid, do a whole range of transactions online. That I'll were, just interrupt your point. That is fourth industrial revolution, though, what you're talking about. That's what it means, getting it all done technologically. It's evolving to a place where everything is now in the palm of your hand, which I, I imagine that's the way that when we thought about technology evolving was to make things better, faster, easier to do. And to do that means being able to transact on your mobile device in any format, not just in the banking sector. But the banking sector is particularly industry interesting because in the last couple of years, FNB was the first to start the trend about becoming more digitally savvy. And they were in the news for various number of reasons, from having RB Jacobs on Twitter to answer customer queries on Twitter, um, to then introducing different ways of banking, not only on a browser, but then moving that to an app platform. So the app now has become, you've evolved your mindset to be able to see that as the way to communicate. Then you go onto Twitter to lodge a complaint. If you don't get through on the, on the call center, that is the new call center, right? It's yeah. just an evolution of yeah. the way that we're yeah. speaking about. The banking strike threw into sharp relief the idea that people may no longer find the security of a job entry level to medium 
um, uh, seniority jobs in the banking sector. And why is that? Is that a rollout of technology? Is that the fault of the banking system not to adequately prepare people to be able to enter the finance sector in various types of roles? Yeah. There are a number of questions to be answered. Mm, mm. Various types of questions to be answered. But I think um, what it then, and I think the immediate one and even a populist one, and I do believe that uh, the fourth industrial revolution is something that many people are still coming to grips with. So I think um, populist questions are expected. The question then becomes if we're so dependent on technology, we're so dependent on machines doing our work, if the machine system crashes, what happens to us? What happens to us indeed. So I, I, I like that you asked the question this way. You're pointing to two areas. One is the human being. The other is the intelligence, the artificial intelligence that we have come so much to rely on without thinking. Whether we uh, put in an address on our GPS and are allowed to be led by a computer system that can take us to a destination, or we're using a voice assistant online like Siri uh, or Alexa, then you're, you, you've got to understand the humanity of how we've evolved. For me, that's as a communications practitioner, it's a very important area to focus on. People may think that there is no strength or substantiation in focusing on that particular area, but there is. Why? Because in the absence of technology that we so rely on to do things so efficiently, so quickly, with heightened connectivity like 5G technology is being rolled out, then the human itself has evolved or devolved in a way yeah. that can either manage life prior the fourth and third industrial revolutions or become go back to the basics. Yeah. And for me, being in the fourth industrial revolution is also exploring going back to basics of humanity. Yeah. Humanity being... It also creates an, an addiction. And I think in society, as we watch it unfold, there's a lot more addictions, a lot more uh, dependencies. Mm. Um, and of course, we know when you think addiction, you think substance. But now I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just general way of being and existing and interacting, even um, communication addictions, yeah. you know. Um, so my point is, one then gets addicted to a particular type of service. So you're saying 5G. And what if somebody's only in a space where there's only 3G network and they just can't function? So it's handling the addiction of certain aspects in the technological sector as well. I think what you're, what you're talking to directly is we can then look at the socioeconomic circumstances, particularly of our country, if we're focusing on a context. South Africa. So 5G is relatively new technologies. Huawei is leading the race in that, which can explain why President Trump decided that he wanted to have a major argument with them. The US wants to lead in that race, right? But if we look at the rollout of 5G technologies, yes, it is starting to happen in South Africa slowly with a few corporations running head to head alongside 5G trying to roll it out. It, of course, won't be available across the landscape of South Africa, Southern Africa yet. Also, because we have limited connectivity in areas like the Eastern Cape. I have a business associate who went there on holiday to see his family a few days ago. He called me up, Naz, you may not get me on WhatsApp. Please try to call me between these times. I go to a certain spot near my family home where I stand. It's crowded because a lot of people only get signal in that one spot. There are hardly connectivity spots in that area. Yeah. And a lot of people are also using different types of devices. Maybe not the higher end smartphone device, that has multiple functionalities uh, from camera uh, quality to the biometric access to all manners of security embedded in them, mm. but more the, the, the lower entry phones that are good for calls, SMS, USSD connectivity, those type of things. So when you talk about the connectivity and the way we have an addiction or reliance on social media, a technology, the transaction of living, the transaction of living because your device allows you to communicate, to send money, to be able to share your thoughts and ideas, to store important information. Those things have become almost like a new layer of living. It's like breathing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard people say, oh, like Wi-Fi is like breathing. I can't do without that. <laughs> but that, that, that was exactly my question, exactly my point. But, you know, back a bit more on the banking, um, you know, debacle, if you could call it that. Uh, and, 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 you know, what we understand in, in the most basic of terms, in the most um, simple way to understand it, you know, the issue then becomes uh, planned retrenchments in the banking sector, which is why the banking sector, a lot of unions in the sector are disgruntled. 
Um, and and if you look at it with the fourth industrial re- uh, revolu- uh, revolution here on the cusp, um, possibly machines are going to do a lot more people's work. And does that mean there's going to be more sorts of retrenchments? And is that going to then cause more sorts of protests? I like that you asked that question. Um, for me, that's a, been an area of uh, research, intense research in the last couple of weeks to answer the question about if robots take over our jobs, what, how will we respond to that? What will the response be? Now, my understanding as I delve deeper and deeper, not in, only into artificial intelligence as a, um, a mascot for the developing technologies of the fourth industrial revolution. Remember, artificial intelligence or AI has many use cases. Primary of that use cases, of those use cases, is automation. What is happening in the banking sector? Automation. What is happening in manufacturing, in agriculture, is automation. Is automation linked to a high-skilled or a low-skilled job? What would you say, Taresh? I'm going to say high. Hmm. High-skilled job, but in our context, we're seeing low-skilled jobs being automated. Why? Because those are simple tasks that can be a machine can be trained in terms of their process flow. So yeah. let's take an example of a process flow. A bank teller, you walk into a bank, you stand in the queue, you go to the window, you fill out a, a deposit slip, you give the teller, teller uh, an amount of money, 500 yeah. rands, they count it, they then put in the details on the system, and the money is deposited, they give you back the slip, and you've got the proof of, proof of payment. Yeah. Okay. I can then go on to, uh, to the ATM and perform the same service. Mm-hmm. I don't even need to be, have a card or be banked to be able to deposit money to an account. Yeah. So it's become so much easier Absolutely. for a consumer. And you then have the, you take away the cost of having to employ somebody and have to pay them right. um, overtime, extra time, shifts, HR uh, cover, all of that. You cut all of that out and it makes the uh, process of working you know, quicker and, and um you know, less costly. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, and, and the, the example I want to cite, and this is just so that my audience can understand what we're doing here and what we're talking Absolutely. about here. Um, don't be fooled, because I think in the 80s, um, there was a, a cult classic, Back to the Future, and you get into the car and you... My favourite movies. <laughs> ...enter your destination and you get there. Think about it. That's how cars are working now. I just saw an ad for a brand name vehicle, uh, a German vehicle, where you get into the car, the car greets you and says, where would you, where would you like to go mm. as you start the car? And you can say to the car, I want to go to a coffee shop, a particular coffee shop in a particular suburb. You've got to do nothing else but sit in your car and get there. It's happening, guys. The, the smart drive is something that appeals to me greatly. I don't want to have to do too much of work when I'm driving. <laughs> but this is the point then. People don't want to do too much of work. Mm. And do you then... People don't want to do too much of work. Industries identify this. Therefore, they are putting more machines to do this work. But then we, have, we are then, as a result of that, getting a higher unemployment rate that government is under pressure to reduce. So I, How then do you win? It's, uh, you pointed to a, a good point where I, I haven't seen the latest, and I know it was released a few days ago by SATSSA, the latest Q3 unemployment uh, rates in yeah. the country, which I have not checked uh, the latest figures, but I know it was released. The, the, the unemployment side, there's so many links in different areas that may look unrelated. And we're talking about the high rate of unemployment, but also the rate of retrenchment. And you also asked, and I want, I want to touch on it quickly, is about the way we respond to these um, technological HR shifts that are happening in the workplace. So my, my um, thoughts on the way we protest the tech, yeah. um, taking over of tech into our workspaces, into our livelihoods, is around firstly understanding what kind of job do I do? What kind of position do I hold? Is that at the threat of automation? What is automation? I'm not sure how much, um, how much these conversations are being held in large or small organizations about the roles, the existing traditional third industrial revolution roles that are currently held and those areas of, uh, of the job description that can be automated. So if those areas of the job description can be automated, which areas or pieces of work are not? And how do we then upskill, reskill people in terms of approaching 
pieces of work, thinking more creatively and understanding a much more embedded value into the organization. This is not, I don't think, and I do believe, is not the conversation happening right now, which is why the fear, the, the unknown fear of how the technologies are evolving and applied into organizations is having a massive impact on the workforce, then going out protesting and saying the banking sector is yeah. at fault. I heard yeah. um, the union speaking uh, on TV, a representative from the trade union, saying how can they uh, just throw us out and put this tech into the bank? They're not even worried about workers being upskilled or deploy us into different areas. Workers are not engaged in those conversations at all within the organizations. And we should be. From the education sector to the private sector and government itself leading this, um, having this presidential commission on the fourth industrial revolution. The first order of business should not be trying to make us win in the race to be the most supreme country on the continent for fourth industrial revolution tactics. It needs to be that we empower our workers who will become superhumans, more human-centered in their learning, in their approach to the value they offer in an organization. That's not the conversation of the way we were brought up. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating and it's chilling. I think the basic point then is, will there be no longer be the need for you in the employment sector with the fourth industrial revolution here on the cusp? And we're in conversation then, we're talking about it, uh, getting a bit of an analysis from Nazreen Ibrahim. She's the CEO at Socially Acceptable. Um, Got some WhatsApps already, but when you uh, are ready, you can give us um, your thoughts on... I think let's just start by asking you what was your fear, your concern um, with the would-be bank strike. You know, what went through your mind when you were told, wait a second, the banking sector could be at strike and um, your money could, you know, potentially come under some sort of... Um, of course, fears were allayed. Let's not alarm anybody and say that all your money was going to go down the drain or be stolen or anything of that sort, that you weren't able to access your money. But um, yes, services were going to be halted to a point. And what impact uh, would that have had on you? What went through your mind? And then if you could also then expand your thoughts on the fourth industrial revolution and could machines, robots, technology be eating away into the jobs of everyday South Africans. 089-310-8789. It's News Break Talk. I'm Tariq Shadi Pashad just after half past one and we are talking about the fourth industrial revolution. Impact on many things. Impact on the banking sector. Impact then on uh, the employment sector. And I think at a point we're going to be ending off the conversation by talking to Nazreen Ibrahim about skilling specifically young people so that they come to a point where they can definitely supplement the fourth industrial revolution and the technology sector going forward because ultimately that is the kind of dominance uh, likely to be seen in the job market in a couple of years time so we'll go to the phone lines and we've got um Salim on the line and we're going to hear from him right now. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. Good afternoon Hi, to you, Salim. Thanks for calling. Hi, good afternoon, Teresh. Uh, lovely topic. You know, I think, you know, the world is changing. Everything is moving. You know, things are getting more advanced. Technology is coming in. You know, uh, the whole life is changing. But, you know, I have one very serious concern. As these changes are coming up, the new generation, the new technology is you know, kicking in. Jobs are being shed all the time. The population of the world is increasing. How, what does one do? Everyone has to live. They have to have a job. They have to earn money. And, you know, the changes doesn't mean that everyone, if you upskill yourself, not everyone's going to get a job. So what is going to be the position of the person that does not have a job. What's going to be the position of the person that is looking for a job and can't find a job? These things mean that jobs are just going to go away, people will be jobless, and, you know, what is the world going to come to? There's a lot of people and there's no job. You know, we need to, you know, the unions are fighting. They are saying they want jobs. They're fighting with the bank, they're saying don't retrench. They're fighting with the mind, they're saying don't retrench. This new development means that all jobs are going to go. People are going to become richer. Masters are going to become poorer. What is that? Is that not a ticking time bomb? Is that not a big risk to this whole world when masters are not going to be un or masters are going to be unemployed? You know, we've got to look at that. We need jobs. People need jobs. They have to live. This is not creating jobs. It's just taking away jobs. Mm. 
Interesting point, Salim. Thanks so much for that. And we're definitely going to be talking to Nazreen about that. And I think before I go to WhatsApp, Nazreen, let's talk about that point raised there by Salim. Because, you know, while he was speaking, an image came to my head. And, um, you know, and like I said, we're going to be ending off the, to- the, the, the talk show by talking about skilling young people specifically for the world of work and getting them ready for the fourth industrial revolution. Um, but... Say, for instance, you have an existing person working and say the person is 50 years old um, and the person, of course, was employed in a specific economic climate, in a specific technological climate. Um, 50, you've got about still 10 more years, you know, for, for, for retirement. But if fourth industrial revolution now intercepts at that point of a person's career, where what we understand and we assume I mean, it's just an assumption, it's not a fact, that a person who's 50 is not as technologically aware as a person born in later generations, or would a person at 50 be able to quickly get those skills that is needed to keep them abreast, keep them up to date with technology? I'm just assuming here. And my question is, you know, when it comes to retrenchment then, where does the fourth industrial revolution leave that 50-year-old? There is no, and I want to say this at the outset, there's no definitive answer to this, as we we all know. The conversations we have are about opening up mindset so that there are further questions to be explored or to be asked or to be considered. The case in point that you used about a 50-year-old having a certain set of skills but may not be technologically inclined to add value to an organization. Now, this is the point of view pre- being presented from an HR, purely HR perspective. And this is what we hear reported from our more mature colleagues who are saying, I'm older in the organization. I'm getting laid off. I'm not being considered for jobs currently that have uh, a more tech focus or require me to use different tech systems. How then do I position myself? This is another layer of threat to my existence as a human worker. But I think in the in the context of that, we have to consider not just the ageist approach to work, which is a, a current debate yeah. that is happening in the workplace. You also have to consider the number of young people who are unemployed, who may not have the same access to opportunities or jobs. There are multiple, there are multiple uh, concerns and pain points in the HR business in the future of work. Yeah. You know, what I'm getting from this and then, you know, a possible solution for something like this, a situation like this then would be skills sharing. Um, and then you've got a question, two things. Is it where, what is the status of skills sharing in South Africa currently? Intergenerationally, I'm talking about at the workplace. Um, and secondly, um, are people being paid enough to spend most of their work day teaching other people, younger people, how to do the job? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. The state of labor in South Africa can be, um, and, and again, you know, there's no definitive answer on this. It's about watching the socioeconomic development of our current state of country. And in the face of this ever-changing landscape of how technologies are affecting our jobs. It's, if you think about... Um, I'm trying to think about how to position this because when you think about workers in general, I want to start in that in that specific space, workers in general, um, understanding the education system. For me, I I really do think that we can have a debate and argument about uh, medium to older workforce happening right now and the challenges that we face in the workforce. We can have a discussion around unemployment rates in the age groups of 15 to 25 to 30. We can have those debates and arguments. My area of concern that's deepening by the day is around our education system. Are we preparing early childhood development candidates, primary, secondary, and tertiary candidates to face the future of work as we filter out the current workforce? Are we doing that? I don't know. The introduction or the reintroduction of FET colleges, the announcement by a basic education minister and ministers around specialized schooling, which was done in July, to focus on things like aviation and other areas, maritime, are very interesting developments. The idea earlier this year that coding 
uh, and other tech-related subjects will be introduced in school is very interesting. <laughs> Why do I say that? I say that because I don't know that as human beings, we are developed enough from the early schooling system to be able to then absorb those type of skills. While you are a coder, while you are a developer, Remember, why have there been so many arguments around ethics on artificial intelligence? Yeah. Why did Google's Council of Ethics close down 10 days after it was started? Stanford University established a Council of Ethics and that also faced problems. Why was that? There was no diversity. There was no inclusivity. We have plenty of diversity in this country. Are we putting that to use in terms of empowering and upskilling people to face the future of work? where we need the diversity is going to be the power that helps us thrive as human-centered workers. I heard Salim speak about how jobs are at total risk. But then I think about the World Economic Forum's Future of Work Report 2018, which cited that 133 million more jobs will be created because of AI. What is that telling me? It's telling me that artificial intelligence is not to replace, it's to supplement the human worker. Unfortunately, Tharesh, it is like I remember this feeling back at university. I was at the University of Natal, but in 2004, when I was about to graduate, we were in the thick of things when the universities were merging. We were going to become UKZN. And the new chancellor at the time, he called a mass meeting at the campus where many people attended, from university lecturers to students and everyone you could think of. We had a massive debate about whether we would graduate under yeah, <laughs> University yeah. of Natal or UKZN. Yeah. And unfortunately for us in this generation, in the going into the next five years, every human worker in this country, employed, unemployed, going through schooling, is going to have to face that we are feeling the pains of the change in the shift towards the future of work. Yeah. We will continue to have this debate. But it is going to be a very painful transition until we figure out if the schooling curriculum can be changed to focus particularly on the skills that really develop a person to go out and face the world yeah. while understanding what robots actually do in, yeah. in life. Well, I want to go to WhatsApp now because it seems quite a, quite interesting here, some responses to what we've been talking about. Uh, the first one here from Rajan Rajkumar in Cape Town. While I welcome the fourth industrial revolution, it cannot be done at the behest of millions of people losing their jobs and becoming unemployed. That is exactly what happened in the banking sector, hence the so-called planned strike that was to take place on Friday. It's a double-edged sword, and one is caught between a rock and a hard place. There we go. I think, Mr. Rajkumar, they're talking about the duality of the situation, which we've been trying to explore thus far in our um, conversation. Renee from uh, Arena Park says, um, as much as we appreciate technology and digitalize, Organization. Uh, things have become so much easier at the touch of a button or on screen. However, the disadvantage of, of this is that it leads to more unemployment. And what about the online banking scams that uh, where one can lose their hard-earned savings because of digitalization? Even artificial intelligence that's taking over also leads to more unemployment. Thank you so much. And that's from Rene Pillay. Uh, thanks for the contribution there. Of course, you know, warning there about the the the... the risks involved in it. Uh, Shamila Maharaj from Stanga. Uh, hi to the team. We thank Lotus every day for um, to let us know what's happening in this country. Well, many people are very scared. One uh, is the banking problem. If petrol goes, um, uh, high food prices will rise. Well, that's sad because from the look of it, the pensioners you know, don't really have enough money to deal with it. So that was um, Shamila Maharaj, they're talking about the impact of, of some of these costs with regard to it. And then Andisha sends us a message. Um, the labor force was going to con uh, was going to contract typists experienced in the early 1980s. Typing pools became redundant. Ladies were reskilled to take on clerical work. Second example, clothing factory. Pneumatic machines is now doing labor-intensive work, mass retrenchment. And it's sad that it's going to get worse in all sectors. Inevitable. So what do humans do? So then the uh, example that I cited of somebody senior in their profession um, and, and what happens to them. So Andisha goes, no chance of a 50-year-old learning new technology. The scope is vast. Youngsters can't keep up. Change is happening too fast. Technologies are, uh, technology in every sector is evolving too fast. We tend to concentrate on what we only need to do uh, to get a pay packet. Aha. Uh -huh. 
And I think a bit of a rebuttal there and a, you know, um, a different viewpoint. Um, and this is from, I think it's anonymous. Um, yeah, many who have been retrenched um, from the banking sector. Machines can never do work of people. Clients are more satisfied interacting with people. Our retrenchments was done very coldly. We were given letters, called to a venue and told in an unempathetic unempath way that we were on three months notices from the day forward. Um, how does a human deal with something of this nature? That's from Anonymous. And then again, some sort of reaction there to the issue about 50-year-olds. Just to answer you on that 50-year-old statement, everyone is an individual. We all age differently. And some of us older people are more equipped to do a job than many of the younger people. Sorry to say, and um, with all due respect, but I speak from experience. So there you go, Seema saying that, you know, it's never too, too late for somebody senior in their profession to come to grips with... Um, the issue of the fourth industrial revolution um and another message here um it's really sad that people are getting retrenched and join millions of others that are unemployed what happens to the thousands of matriculants next year where do they get jobs and that is precisely the point that nasreen and i will be ending our conversation on before we do that let's go to mr louis pele on the line hello mr pele uh, good afternoon to you Dinesh, and good afternoon to your guests and the listeners as well I think I've got two points, but I'll go with my second point first regarding people leaving the university and there's no job sitting. Now, all they've got to do is to open up an account, a bank account, register it, get a VAT number, and try to do business on their own. Get a clearance certificate from the tax site, and then your guest spoke about business online. Now, you can do business online. Now, if you go through your your business sheet, and you can see people that wanting stuff. So now you buy stuff, and you sell it to them, and you get the couriers doing the job. You've got no staff to pay, but the courier is doing the job. You're buying, and you're selling online, and you're making a profit. I think that's the way South Africa is going now. People are sitting in the dining room and doing business. And that business is taking off. And, you know, people, if you go through the paper, people wanting stuff, people want to sell stuff. You can move stuff around and make a huge profit. Then the second, my first question is, you know, some of the motor companies are going into robots. Now they've got robots actually doing the work of labor, moving parts, fitting parts in a vehicle. And now we are, they are saving on the human side, and they, they're employing less people. I hope that two points your guests can ex, ex, uh, talk about it more on that scale. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Pillay. Appreciate your call. Um, yeah, it's about 10 minutes left, and we are going to just now end off on uh, the issue of development in the future. But some of your thoughts on what Mr. Louis Pillay was talking about, about you know rearranging things and shifting it about, Thank you, Mr. Pillay, for the comments. I think they're very uh, valid, the points that you're talking about. Uh, robots uh, doing the jobs of uh, various people at different organizations. Again, I, I want to go back, um, Taresh. I think what we need and why this conversation is so important and necessary is an education around what are these technologies that take away, supposedly take away jobs, which they are, yes. We talked about automation. What does automation mean? It means to be able to do something uh, with no supervision that is a very simple process. A simple process may be uh, baking, um, putting together uh, a car in its format in the, in, in the shop floor or wherever they do it. Putting in the seats, uh, screwing on the doors, and then polishing that car off the production line. Right. Can that be done with robotic arms? We see that all the time. It's been done since the revolution started developing and the technology started developing for that. Does it take away the human worker from putting that particular car together? Yes, it does. Where else is the human worker applied on that? I don't know about the manufacturing process of a car, but I can assume this is how it would follow. Once the car comes off the production line, it's then checked by a human worker for quality control. It may be then put, a final polish may be put on it. I know something like 
I think it's either the Bugatti or the BMW factories have particular technicians. Actually, it's the AMG factory that have particular technicians that are skilled in understanding how the components are installed into the car. Those can't be done by robots. Yeah. Because yeah. they, so. they need a sim- similar uh, set of skills. Now, to go back to Mr. Louis' point, I, this is a common fear. I recently, I interviewed a robot on my show called AI Africa Report. It's uh, PwC's Romo. And Romo said to me, uh, this is an irrational human fear that robots will be taking over workers' jobs. Workers will be working alongside robots. We'll be complementary to one yeah. another. <laughs> What is it like so, interviewing a robot? <laughs> Off topic, you've just got me thinking what it would be like. Like, how do you read their body language or what they're saying if they're uncomfortable? If, if listeners want to watch guys. it, they can go onto YouTube and check out AI Africa Report and you'll see my interview with Romo. But it was interesting because... I'm sorry, Nassim, go, go, go back to the point. I talking just had to him, to. it was like... I had to, to realise that I had to have some kind of uh, nuanced interaction with him. I couldn't be yeah. like, Hi, Romo, yeah. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. me. <laughs> no, I had to speak like a human. But what? Okay. <laughs> that was an interesting experience for me as a human interviewer, you know, uh, presenting in the real world. Okay, we digress. Um, <laughs> let's go on to this WhatsApp that we got uh, before we wrap up the conversation. So I just want to say that we should think of economic growth that can be gained by the fourth industrial revolution. Bank fees and money saved per transaction, for example, translates to more jobs overall. There may also be a shift toward the singularity. Uh, interesting points there. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so it's about five minutes left on the program. When we come back, we just want to look at an interesting report that came out this week and what we could then um, learn from this report going into the future of work, how to future-proof young people for the world of work. Okay, well, it's five minutes left on the program and the conversation was quite interesting to the point that time just ran away, didn't it? And uh, so it's just enough time then, not enough, frankly, but we'll try to fit it in. Um, the South African ICT Skills Survey it was carried out by the Joburg Centre for Software Engineering, the um, Adivitz University, and um, I think another very reputable organisation. And what they found basically was that, um, you know, South Africa has not really had a significant impact uh, the fourth industrial revolution, rather, has not had a significant impact on South African ICT skills landscape, meaning that maybe South Africa is behind where it needs to be. Of course, I was going to go through this report in detail, but we can't really. Um, but I just want to go through some of the key findings then of the report um, and how this could then be integrated and considered, Nasreen, when wanting to skill our young people to ensure that when they enter job market, they are exactly what the fourth industrial revolutionized job market would need. Uh, one of the things they found in the survey was that all respondents said they felt a responsibility to help their employees reskill to meet the new era of digitalization. Um, ICT practitioners felt they needed to reskill themselves in view of the changing digital environment. And uh, less than half of enterprises polled said ICT skills shortfalls were having a major effect on their business. So what we're getting here is two points. And one point, we already spent enough time talking about, you know, the um, existing workforce skilling themselves. So we're done with that. Let's talk about, um, you know, the shortfalls currently with regard to young people being skilled to enter the market. And you touched on the earlier early childhood development and all of that. How then do you go about skilling the young people so that they're well ready? Well ready. Hmm. I, I, I would say that in this time, young people are already digital natives. They have, um, they have a very intuitive sense of devices and interaction with uh, your interface, the digital interface. Apps, browsers, uh, websites um, and applications to do the work. Microsoft Word, PowerPoint. Those type of things. So maybe when, when a family member is screaming, get off that cell phone or put that computer away, maybe they shouldn't be saying that. Well, I mean, the, okay, this is a, a bigger conversation to have. But how many, how many of our listeners have little children in their homes they are, or their grandchildren or their extended families, nieces, nephews, who they see at the age of two, picking up the phone, knows what the YouTube icon looks like, hits it, goes in, knows exactly what... 
uh, videos they're watching Peppa Pig or Barney or I don't know what's out there, but <laughs> Vampirina as my niece watches Vampirina. <laughs> but they know these things, okay? And and also it's the uh, way our human body has evolved to experience our environment. We touch things and we expect something to happen. We speak to something, we expect something to happen. We may, in my generation, certainly, I was the last of the generations to be brought up where I understood what it's like to play outside with nothing, but also then to evolve into learning how to use technology. So the skills you are talking about, I know to wrap up this conversation, would be for me, particularly in this country, is around the soft skills. What are soft skills? They are the ability to communicate effectively, to think creatively, and to plan holistically. And to do that, that is how you are then applying your mind if you become a developer. These developers who create these systems that we work on every day are doing so from a very subjective point of view. Now, if I'm sending my nine-year-old child to take up a class in coding, I would really like if the education department thought it would be necessary for them to apply their mind of empathy, gratitude, and a sense of kindness and morality onto that learning. Why? Because coding is a language. It's a language that is used to write systems. These systems help us to transact and navigate the world. If the elements of soft skills, which are channeled through the human emotions, the sentiment towards caring for other human beings, are not written into those lines of code, then I think we have a very big problem. We shouldn't be worried about robots taking over our jobs. We should be worried about annihilating one another. Nasreen, I want another hour to talk about this because that issue of soft skills helps you handle the hard skills, which is, you know, the hard way. Uh, wow, that's fascinating. And I've, so that means you've got to come back to Durban soon to, to talk to us about it. Okay, I'm going to make a plan because I know yeah. I got chocolates today. Suresh <laughs> treated me. The team are too sweet in the studio. Right, so that was Nazreen <laughs> Ibrahim, CEO of Socially Acceptable, helping us understand. I just want to end off on this, on this WhatsApp I find very interesting. Um, I wanted to say, no, it's no longer here. Um, I saw it just now. Um... Oh, he's still typing. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. The broadcast came your way courtesy of the team. That was executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi. We'll talk again between 6 and 7. It's another edition of Newsbreak. Then you can listen out from Meet Adi Have an awesome day.